What the heck is happening with the U.S. presidential elections? People in Taiwan are really concerned about the U.S. elections. I am Natalie So. And I'm Andrew Ryan. Let's start with a look at the stories on our radar. President Tsai Ing-wen says that Taiwan will continue to boost its ties with the U.S. no matter who wins the U.S. presidential election. She was speaking Wednesday evening as the vote count in a number of U.S. battleground states was still underway. The military is continuing to hold routine exercises this week in light of continued Chinese incursions near Taiwan. Elementary schools are using the exercises as an opportunity to have children show support for the nation's military. A renowned Taiwanese performing arts troupe, Ju Percussion, is planning to celebrate the 35th anniversary of its founding next year with a revival of its 2019 production, A Tale of Clay, the story of one community's revitalization. A record 1,600 people have signed up to take part in this year's Da Hong Bay Ironman event in southern Taiwan. The event is scheduled for December 5th and 6th. Despite the global pandemic and border closures, participants will include Taiwan residents from 23 countries and territories. That will make it the most international pool of competitors the event has ever seen. Now, people here in Taiwan are actually very concerned about the U.S. elections. And in fact, on election return night, it was actually morning here in Taiwan, we both went to watch parties to get a feel for what was happening. Yeah, that's right. And we both asked Taiwanese what they're concerned about regarding the U.S. elections. I think it's very crucial for Taiwan, especially. I don't hope there, there's a chaos after the, the election because uh, it's about Taiwan's national security. What I really cared is the security and uh, economic interest of Taiwan. Like who's going to benefit more beneficial to us. I'm worried about Trump winning because I feel like even though he promised that he's going to protect Taiwan, he's just lying. And he's probably anytime he's just going to sell us out to China. That's what I'm most worried about. Now, people have the impression that a lot of Taiwanese favor Trump, especially since there was a recent survey showing that Taiwan is the only country out of eight in Asia where more people favor Trump than Biden. That was very interesting, wasn't it? was, it? Yeah. yeah. Now, the president and the foreign minister have both come out this week to reassure people about U.S.-Taiwan ties. Trump or Biden, Biden or Trump, people in Taiwan seem to be under the impression that Trump is better for Taiwan-U.S. ties. That's because right now, relations with the United States are better than they were four years ago. Arms sales and high-level visits are just a few of the milestones reached during Trump's presidency. So if Joe Biden and the Democrats take the White House, that spells trouble for Taiwan, right? Taiwan's foreign minister Joseph Wu doesn't think so. He says the impression that a Trump presidency is better for Taiwan is erroneous. The foreign minister says that over the past few decades, Taiwan's government has had equal exchanges with both of the United States' major political parties, and Taiwan-U.S. relations will continue to grow no matter who's in charge. 
Wu points out that Taiwan garners bipartisan support in the U.S. Congress. Recently, he says, U.S. legislation concerning Taiwan always passes with little or no opposition. To Wu, that means both parties clearly support Taiwan. Now, we are both Americans. That's and right. we both voted in That's this election. Right. What was your experience? Well, um, it was interesting. It was the first time I ever faxed my vote. You faxed it? Yeah, so everyone could see I'm transparent. <laughs> that, that's so old school. <laughs> I, I thought it would it. get there in time. That's mm -hmm. why I did it a few weeks ago. Yeah. And then I realized my son can vote. So really? I tried to get him to register in a few different ways. I didn't know if it was going to work out, and we didn't get any response. And then we got the ballot about a week ago Ooh. in the mail okay. in, in this long Taiwanese address where we live. And I'm like, wow, it came in. So like, you got to fill it out. We'll express it the next day. So two of us voted uh, in excellent. my household. And your son was a first-time voter. That's right. That's very That's exciting. Right. He's 18. So. so I voted in Missouri, and I actually emailed my vote oh, wow. for the first That's time. That's cool. That's very convenient. Yes, and I think everybody also knows who I voted for because I emailed it as well. And they actually confirmed that they'd received the email and that everything was okay within a day or two after I sent it. Oh, so that's great. Super fast, super efficient. Now, you might be curious to know how many people, how many Americans there are abroad who are eligible to vote like we are. Actually, the number is 3 million. 7% of them voted in the last presidential election in 2016. But actually about 59% voted in the general election within the United States. So that's actually a huge difference. Just 7% right. from overseas, 59%, 60% from inside the United States. And why did people not vote from overseas? Well, over 30% had trouble either registering or getting their ballot. And 26% didn't get their ballot in time. Mm, you have to figure in the mailing you know, time, yeah. so, which is also an issue in this election. Absolutely. So, Maybe even more of an issue because of you know, the postal system not being up to speed and the pandemic and everything. Now, we were really curious to know what Americans think about this election and whether or not their voting choices are different because they live in Taiwan. So we talked to some people. Here's what they had to say. I think being in Taiwan has made me realize how, like, the USA has this front of being, like, the savior of the world, but we're really, like, the people who are causing all the issues, we're the instigators, you know? So did being in Taiwan affect the way you voted this year? I would say slightly, yes, uh, especially this year, because uh, the tension between US, Taiwan, and China, I, I love Taiwan as well, I wish. Uh, the next president can be tougher on China, however, uh, not to create too much tension between U.S., China, and Taiwan in, in, like, in, uh, in case it causes war. I think being in Taiwan because you're more like removed, like I had more headspace to be like, I feel like neither of these candidates really align with my values, and so I'm not going to give a vote to either of them. But it was strategic because I am registered in California, and they are definitely voting blue, so I was like, Okay, it's gonna be okay even if I don't. But I feel like if I was in the US, I would be much more invested and I probably definitely would have voted. Did I vote differently for a presidential candidate because I've been living in Taiwan? I personally don't think so, but that's because I was very solidified in my beliefs before I left the United States. So Andrew, did being in Taiwan affect the way you vote? I don't think so. I think I probably would have voted for the same person regardless of where I lived in the world. But I will say that being overseas does give us a unique perspective about America's position in the world. So that's true. That's something I'm, I'm concerned about. Right. What about you? 
Well, no, it didn't affect. I think I think in terms of American interests when I vote for the American president rather mm -hmm. than Taiwan interests. But of course, you know, we are concerned about um, the foreign policy. But I still voted for the same person I would have voted for if I was in the U.S. Mm. And you guys can all guess who we <laughs> voted for. You can also uh, join the conversation, leave a comment below. We have a great thread on Facebook where we're chatting about this as well. Up next, hashtag Taiwan. This week on Hashtag Taiwan, I want to talk to you about this GIF. Now, even though there's no sound, some people say they can hear an impact whenever the power tower slams back down on the ground. Rhyme time, y'all! Power tower, power tower, power tower, power tower, power tower! If you're one of the people that can make out the audio in this silent picture, then you're not alone. Research suggests that people have something called visual ears. Essentially, your brain just fills in the quiet parts of a picture with no sound. Now, social media in Taiwan caught on to the scientific oddity and made a trend of it. Introducing the hashtag challenge. What does that mean? It translates into the hashtag Write a sentence with built-in audio challenge. Basically, it asks social media users to use nothing but words to evoke sounds in people. For example, the Radio Taiwan International Chinese Language Service wrote, Lai zi Taiwan zi ying RTI. Why? Because this is what RTI's classic jingle sounds like. People familiar with the RTI call sign probably would have heard that in their heads when they read the post. So now that you got the gist of this trend, I'm going to share with you a few entries that I found interesting. A parenting Facebook page shared a few sentences that 7-year-old Leslie can hear said in his mother's stern voice, the most chilling of which is 我数到三, which means I'm going to count to three. Oh. Let's get political. The Ministry of Defense came up with this sentence that looks like a warning. If you recognize it, you probably hear it as a fighter pilot's voice over a walkie-talkie. Get it? Because China has been making so many incursions into Taiwanese airspace lately that people are getting used to hearing that line over and over again on the news? Here's a favorite of mine. Taipei City Councilman Wang Sijian poked fun at himself by posting the words over my dead body. Why? Because in 2014, Wang got famous for trying to block someone from entering the legislature. He said anyone getting past him would be doing so over my dead body, over my dead body, over my dead body. So just by reading the words over my dead body, a lot of people can hear him saying over my dead body. A majority of this challenge is song lyrics, sounds, popular phrases, and product slogans. You get the idea. But before I go, I'm going to leave you with my entry into this challenge. It's going to be on the screen right now. If those words evoke a sound in you, then we're good. If not, then you need to watch my show more. Like and subscribe! I think we can all agree that 2020 has been a stressful year. We've had elections in Taiwan, in the United States, a pandemic. Well, today we're going to play a game that we are calling Who Needs a Hug? <laughs> we all do. That's the correct answer. Game over. <laughs> so I'm going to show uh, Leslie and Nally five pictures of hugs, and I want them to identify the huggers 
the Huggies and why the hugging is going on. Oh, <laughs> how cute. And we're going to do our best to describe the pictures for our listeners who are tuning in via radio from home. All right, you guys ready for the first picture? All righty. All right, let's, try it. let's have a look at the first picture. Looks like it's a baseball game. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the Uni Lions, and they're at home plate. About four guys crown the plate. Two guys are about to embrace in a hug. A big hug. A big hug. Maybe they three won. guys. They <laughs> won, right? So what, do you know what that is? They won game one of the uh, Taiwan series of the CPBL. Excellent. I'm, I'm glad you got that. Good. Now, unfortunately for fan. the Lions, they uh, are now down three games to one. Uh, Thursday night, I guess the uh, brothers could have a chance at clinching the title. It's the best of seven. It could so. be tonight. It so. could be tonight. And in which case, we'll have to give the Lions another big hug. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next photo. So what do you see? Oh, this looks like a hospital. There's a doctor in the background, and a man is hugging a woman in a yellow T-shirt. A patient? A patient? Is she a patient of COVID-19 who's just recovered? Yeah, very close. It's actually the man that is the patient. Okay. Uh, he's got his eyes blurred out to protect uh, his identity. Uh-huh. And you guessed correctly, uh, he had COVID-19. He's actually a university student who had COVID and was in the hospital for 64 days before finally the doctors had a little party. For his release. Was he the longest case so far in Taiwan? Might have been okay. close to the longest. And that was his mom. So he was getting Aww. a hug coming Aww, out of the hospital. That's wonderful. All right. Let's have a look at the next picture. Oh, that is uh, <laughs> Lai Qingde. That's Vice President. Am I, is that, that's yeah, correct. Okay, that's just right. checking. I don't know who the guy he, who he's hugging, though. So it's two politicians, yeah? yeah? What do you think is in the background? That looks like him, though. That looks like a picture of him on a podium just blown up so, talking is this i can't make out the picture in the back so can you guess what kind of it an event like this might be a rally yes a presidential rally is it for when he was campaigning for vice president actually the key is the person in the front can we look at the photo one more time so who is that in the front there somebody who ran for office successfully this year uh for the second time same office Second time running for it this August is for mayor of Kaohsiung. Oh, Chen Chi Mai! That did not look like him. That did not look like him. Wow. So this was for a uh, by-election, uh, and this was in August. Yeah. Uh, and uh, this was before the election took place. So I guess it was a hug for well wishing him, yeah. wishing him well, mm. or congratulations, congratulating or him. Yeah, finally. Yeah. There's a lot of things. Yes. All right, let's have a look at the next picture. At the Pride Parade. There's okay, a so rainbow what do you flag. See? Yeah, rainbow flag. That um, gives you a good clue. Two people are hugging a, in the a guy and a girl. left foreground. Are they getting married or did they get married this week or something? We actually don't know if it's a man and a woman. Oh, okay. You guessed correctly. This is at the Pride Parade that happened last weekend. And it is two people uh, hugging each other, a sign of support. Just because. Yeah. Just because hugs are some of the best. Hugs are some of the best. We like hugs. Next photo. Oh. Oh, (laughs) There's a big panda hugging a baby panda. It's a giant panda, man. Yes, Yuan Zhai had a baby, second baby. This is Yuan Yuan, the mother. Mm. Yuan Zhai is the first daughter. Yuan Yuan. (laughs) And the baby's name is. Oh man. Ro Ro and Yuan Bao, yes. Uh-oh. So Ro Ro was the nickname, Yuan Bao is the final name okay, that the yeah. people so of Taiwan chose for the baby panda. 
So that was very cute. I mean, she's, yeah. Super cute. Really like, cute. How we'll be seeing her this Christmas, that. actually. She's coming out to see the world around Christmas time. Oh, excellent. Yes. That's awesome. So we can actually go and visit the, ho- uh, the not the hospital, we the should do zoo. That. Let's do that. <laughs> see if we can do a special report. I think everybody needs more hugs. Uh, so that's our game for this week. Who needs a hug? I think we all do. And our final question today, since we've been thinking about the U.S. elections, what do you think the United States can learn from Taiwanese elections? Leslie. All right, so I'm going to go first, and mine is participation. Um, uh-huh. Karis Templeman said on our live stream during the Taiwanese election in January, he said that he witnessed an old lady at a polling station correct, you know, one of the po- uh, the vote counters, and he was just like, that really? is democracy in motion, that is beautiful. And I was just thinking that is something that... Uh, I think uh, I don't appreciate enough. Yes, that's true. So everybody can watch the vote being counted. That's right. That's right. Anybody, which is amazing. Natalie. And I'd like to wish um, a very peaceful democratic process. Um, we've had peaceful transfers of power every time. People get rowdy, people get excited, but it has been peaceful in the uh, democratic process. That's great. Well, uh, you both have serious ones. I have kind of a funny one, but it <laughs> also begins with P. I would like to get that Taiwanese election pose oh, for I'm, American candidates. That one, <laughs> like this one, or like <laughs> what are the other ones? What are the other ones? They 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 have the hand. Oh hand no no, ones. there's also this one. There's this this one too, right? Oh yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> so maybe we can get the U.S. candidates doing that in a future Sounds American good. election. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this inside look at Taiwan this week. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, if you liked our show, subscribe and leave a comment below. For Taiwan Insider, I am Natalie So. I'm Leslie Leo. And I'm Andrew Ryan. The Overseas Community Affairs Council is encouraging overseas journalists to report on the contributions Taiwanese have made to the world so that the world can see Taiwan. The OCAC is launching the Chinese Language Journalism Award for Overseas Media. Journalists can compete for two awards, the Print and Digital Report Award and the Broadcast Report Award. Entries that showcase in-depth professional reporting have the chance to win $2,500 U.S. dollars. The deadline is November 30th. Go to www.ocac.gov.tw for details. RTI is conducting a survey. Visit our website to fill out the questionnaire or simply send us your answers to the following four questions. Question number one. What platform do you use to listen to RTI programs? You can write more than one, but list the most frequent one first. Question number two. Which RTI programs are your favorites? Write no more than three programs. Question number three. Out of a total of five stars, how many stars would you give RTI's English broadcasts overall? And question number four. What are your suggestions for RTI's English programs? Everybody who enters will have a chance to win a prize. Send your answers to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, 11199. Or send it via email. Our email address is audience01 at rti.org.tw. That's audience and the numbers 0 and 1 
at rti.org.tw. Be sure to leave your name, gender, age, and nationality. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. Taiwan is watching the U.S. elections very closely as the next U.S. president will have a big impact on U.S.-Taiwan ties. Today we hear from a political scientist about his perspective on the U.S. elections. But before that, let's hear from some people in Taiwan. They tell us what they're concerned about in the U.S. elections. I'm worried about Trump winning because I feel like even though he promised that he's going to protect Taiwan, he's just lying. And he's probably anytime he's just going to sell us out to China. That's what I'm most worried about. I think it's very crucial for Taiwan, especially. I don't hope there, there's a chaos after the election because about Taiwan's national security, and it's about uh, Taiwan, China, and Taiwan relationship. What I really cared is the security and uh, economic interest of Taiwan, like who's more beneficial to us in terms of uh, national security and economic development. So it's pretty obvious that many people in Taiwan are concerned about the nation's security and how the next president will affect that. U.S.-Taiwan ties have gone quite well under the Trump administration. Just this week, the Trump administration proposed the 10th arms package of their administration for Taiwan. But Taiwan's president and foreign minister don't want the public to misunderstand. In fact, they came out this week to clarify that Taiwan will work to build a strong U.S.-Taiwan relationship with the next U.S. president, no matter which party he's from. Let's listen to a report from this Monday. Trump or Biden, Biden or Trump. People in Taiwan seem to be under the impression that Trump is better for Taiwan-U.S. ties. That's because right now, relations with the United States are better than they were four years ago. Arms sales and high-level visits are just a few of the milestones reached during Trump's presidency. So if Joe Biden and the Democrats take the White House, that spells trouble for Taiwan, right? Taiwan's foreign minister, Joseph Wu, doesn't think so. He says the impression that a Trump presidency is better for Taiwan is erroneous. The foreign minister says that over the past few decades, Taiwan's government has had equal exchanges with both of the United States' major political parties, and Taiwan-U.S. relations will continue to grow no matter who's in charge. Wu points out that Taiwan garners bipartisan support in the U.S. Congress. Recently, he says, U.S. legislation concerning Taiwan always passes with little or no opposition. To Wu, that means both parties clearly support Taiwan. Leslie Liao, RTI News. So yes, people in Taiwan are very concerned about the U.S. presidential election. And of course, Americans here are concerned. I went to a watch party on Election Day and got to chat with some of them. And this is what they had to say. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Charles, and I'm an American citizen in Taiwan. So, so yeah. did being in Taiwan affect the way you voted this year? I would say slightly, yes, uh, especially this year, because uh, the tension between U.S., Taiwan, and China. I love Taiwan as well, so um, I think Trump creates a little bit more tension between these three regions. However, I do see the appeal of Trump as a pure American, so it's a tough decision. 
And what do you want most from the next U.S. president? Well, on the international front, I wish the next president can be tougher on China. However, not to create too much tension between U.S., China, and Taiwan in case it causes war. So I believe Biden is probably the better choice for that. However, I do think believe that Trump also acknowledges this as well. So we'll have to see. So did being in Taiwan affect the way you voted? No, it did not. And what do you want from the next president? I hope the next president can bring peace and prosperity back to the U.S. How's it watching from Taiwan? It's nerve-wracking because the the results um, are pretty close and still too early to tell. Would being in Taiwan affected who you would vote for? No. Yeah. And what do you want from the next president? Uh, somebody that doesn't tear the world apart. Somebody that is kind of consistent with global patterns and open to all groups and all people and not dependent upon you know um, how the money flows it's just really an independent thinker and a few other americans told us if being in taiwan affected the way they voted did i vote differently for a presidential candidate because i've been living in taiwan i personally don't think so but that's because i was very solidified in my beliefs before i left the united states i think being in taiwan because you're more like removed like i had more headspace to be like I feel like neither of these candidates really align with my values and so I'm not going to give a vote to either of them. But it was strategic because I am registered in California and they are definitely voting blue. So I was like, okay, it's going to be okay even if I don't. But I feel like if I was in the U.S., I would be much more invested and I probably definitely would have voted. So those are some thoughts from people in Taiwan about the U.S. elections. Next, let's hear from a top political scientist. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Listening to Taiwan Today, and I am Natalie So. Today we're talking about the U.S. elections. I believe that the world is watching, and we here in Taiwan are very concerned. Now we're going to hear from a top political scientist in Taiwan, Liu Birong, a political science professor at Suzhou University. He tells us first what he thinks how big an election issue China was in the U.S. elections. Both parties in the U.S. are anti-China, so this has become a new Washington consensus. Both parties believe that the Chinese Communist Party is a threat to the U.S., but they will deal with China differently. Trump says Biden is way too soft on China. Biden says he's not soft. But there is a difference between the two. Biden thinks there are areas where the two countries can cooperate. But there are other areas he will take a hard stance on, such as human rights, the South China Sea, and Xinjiang. As for the Trump administration, you can look at what Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says, whether while in the U.S. or abroad. All of his criticism against China is for domestic consumption. So both sides are showing their stance against China. 
So having a strong stance against China is something that both the presidential candidates shared, and that, of course, is something that Taiwan is very concerned about. Now, we also asked political scientist Liu Birong about the coronavirus. Trump himself got the coronavirus, and the pandemic is probably one of the biggest issues facing Americans today and one of the biggest issues that they voted on. Now, Professor Liu tells us how he thinks the coronavirus and Trump's handling of it affected the election. After Trump got the coronavirus, a lot of people said that's what he got for not being careful and listening to doctors like Dr. Fauci. When he was in the hospital, people were wondering if he could still run for president, but then he recovered after a few days. He tried to project an image of a hero who overcame the coronavirus, but the polls didn't show that his popularity increased because of it. There has been a lot of big news with Trump. The New York Times did an investigation into his taxes and found he only paid 750 U.S. dollars. Trump explained himself by saying he was very successful at avoiding taxes, and these methods were set up by the Democratic Party. If it were other national leaders, being exposed as a cheater would have been their downfall. But that controversy didn't affect Trump much at all. So it seems that in the U.S. election, a lot of people already have their fixed stances. There are some undecided voters in swing states, but if you look at a place like California, there's no hope for Trump, no matter what he does. So when they had major fires, he didn't go. He knew it wouldn't make a difference. He doesn't really care about the people who aren't his base. Some people have even made artwork, a whole wall written with Trump's lies. A lot of celebrities and influential people have come out opposing Trump, but he's used to it. In theory, he shouldn't be elected, but you never know. Now, another factor in the U.S. election this time is mail-in voting. In fact, as of recording time, many key states are still counting those mail-in ballots. And those mail-in ballots can be the ones who decide the election. Now, Trump has spread a lot of rumors saying that there's a lot of fraud going on with mail-in ballots, and he's also threatening to take some cases to the courts. So in this U.S. election, mail-in ballots are a very contentious and important issue. We asked Professor Liu what he thinks the impact of mail-in ballots are on this election. There has been some more mail-in voting because of the pandemic, but there are some problems. Some people who didn't register for mail-in voting still got it. There's also the issue of the post office and lack of staff. When Election Day is over, some of the votes will still be in the mail. Trump has started threatening that mail-in voters could be fake. People are afraid Trump won't leave if he loses and that he'll call in the military or the Supreme Court. The Democratic Party has prepared a legal team to deal with all these maneuvers. The majority of the media don't like Trump, so they make a big deal of all these issues. Now, the role the Supreme Court may play in this election is also something of concern. In the year 2000, in the Bush versus Gore election, the Supreme Court decided the election. And just before the election, in an unprecedented move, President Trump nominated another conservative judge, Amy Coney Barrett, and she was approved in just one month. 
We asked Professor Liu what he think the impact of this appointment may be on the U.S. election. According to the Constitution, Trump has the right to fill the seat. But according to normal practice, people would wait. There are now six conservative judges and three liberal ones. Trump may only be president for four years, but he will have an impact for decades because of his Supreme Court appointments. But Supreme Court judges have their own mind and judgment. They don't have to listen to Trump. If you think they do, you underestimate them. If they are able to be appointed to that post, they definitely have their own judgment. But the appointment of Barrett does have an impact. First, from a long-term perspective, it will bring American society to a more conservative direction. Second, the abortion issue. Conservatives believe it shouldn't be a right, while liberals think it's a woman's right. About one-fourth of voters will choose a candidate based on this issue alone. Catholics are against abortion, but Biden isn't, so the Democrats are worried now that there are six judges who are conservative. So they are thinking if they win the House and Senate, they can increase the number of justices in the Supreme Court. But Biden is against this. He thinks that presidents shouldn't do this. If every president does that, the Supreme Court justices will lose their power. So he has tried not to focus on this issue. Now, the issue that people in Taiwan are most concerned about is how will Donald Trump and Joe Biden deal with Taiwan if they're elected? Professor Liu gives us his thoughts. U.S.-China relations are bad right now, so the U.S. is playing the Taiwan card. They're sending top officials, they've passed the Taiwan Travel Act, and are selling arms. But Trump is very unpredictable. He can change his mind at any moment. I've never seen anyone who was so at ease at doing what he is. People are wondering if he'll overturn the One China principle. That might not be a blessing for Taiwan. It could actually cause trouble, because it would cause instability in the region. As for Biden, he'll also use the Taiwan card, but not to the extent that Trump does. So as for us in Taiwan, who should we hope wins? We should be neutral. It's not our country. We need to take care of ourselves. We need to take care of our own interests and goals. Those are the perspectives of political science professor Liu Bi-rong of Taiwan Suzhou University. And you also heard a lot of thoughts from Taiwanese and Americans in Taiwan. That's the view from Taiwan on the U.S. elections. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. John Van Trieste. And the destination. 1908. The National Taiwan Museum is the oldest museum in Taiwan. 
a center of natural history and anthropology since 1908. After a major renovation, the 109-year-old museum reopened in November, the latest step in a plan designed to update the museum for the 2020s. To mark its grand reopening, the museum has dedicated a new permanent exhibition, Discovering Taiwan. This exhibit looks back to the earliest days of inquiry into Taiwan's peoples and its environment, and it traces the stories of the people who helped build the museum's collection. 265 out of the more than 300 objects on display come from the museum's holdings. But the new exhibit is as much about the museum's relevance to the present and the future as it is about history. Here to tell us more is assistant museum researcher Li Ziming. The exhibit begins with an introduction to early European and Japanese surveys of Taiwan, surveys that expanded foreign knowledge of the island, but which were mostly confined to its coastal edges. The story picks up shortly after 1895, the year Japan began to rule Taiwan as a colony. This is where the first section of the exhibit, The Path to Discovery, starts. Here, the work of two Japanese collectors is explored in detail. Mori Ushinosuke was only 18 the year Taiwan became a Japanese colony, but his language learning skills were already evident. He served at that age as an interpreter for the Japanese military, having already mastered Chinese. Once he arrived in Taiwan, he quickly picked up indigenous languages as well. In the early years of the 20th century, he built up a reputation as something of an authority on Taiwan's indigenous peoples. The exhibit includes quotes from his field notes, written as he traveled to indigenous villages across the island. Kikuchi Yonetaro, meanwhile, was a naturalist. Cataloging Taiwan's animals was his life's work. He first arrived in Taiwan in 1906, having been hired by British collector Alan Austin to collect a specimen of the island's Mikado pheasant. This is a bird species whose males are speckled blue with red patches around their eyes and long decorative tails. His success in capturing one of these birds would later earn him a commission to catch another, which he would personally present to Japan's Taisho Emperor. When the National Taiwan Museum was founded in 1908 as the Taiwan Viceroy's Office Museum, these two men were sources of much of its collection. According to Mr. Lee, neither of them had especially advanced educations. Mr. Lee says few people from Japan in those days would have been interested in working in Taiwan a place he said many saw as far away on the margins. But he says these two found opportunities for work in Taiwan, and so they came and distinguished themselves before later becoming involved with the colony's first museum. He says the common thread in this part of the exhibit is fieldwork, the idea that knowledge should come not from books, but from experience. The second part of the exhibition, called Taiwan's New Scopes, includes a large number of figures. Some of them were contemporaries of Mori and Kikuchi. 
For instance, there was the plant collector Kawakami Takia, who was a patron of both men and who went on to become the museum's first director. Among those covered here, there are also people who worked in the same fields as Mori and Kikuchi. Ozaki Hotsuma, for instance, also studied Taiwan's indigenous peoples. During his tenure at the museum during the 1920s, he built up his own idiosyncratic view of Taiwan's past, proposing a 4,000-year timeline of development. But while there is some crossover from the first section, the second part is made up of smaller, more detailed profiles, and it covers contributions to a bigger range of fields. There were those who solved big problems, Shiraki Tokuichi was an entomologist who was also an academic commissioner at the museum. He discovered dozens of insect species, but also set about helping Taiwan to control its agricultural pests. His decision to import and breed Vidalia beetles around 1908 stopped an infestation of citrus pests in its tracks allowing Taiwan's citrus orchards to thrive once again. His study of the yellow stem borer, a pest that destroys rice, boosted Taiwan's 1910 rice harvest by 130,000 metric tons. Other naturalists of this period discovered that Taiwan held some rare secrets. Okamoto Yohachiro's interest was in rocks and minerals. Over a career at the early museum that spanned two decades, he collected over 200 specimens and published extensively. His big discovery, though, was the rare mineral hoctolite, which he discovered in a creek in the north of Taipei. This mineral, the exhibit tells us, is found almost nowhere else in the world. After 1945, with the end of World War II, 50 years of Japanese colonial rule came to an end. The new Republic of China government that followed kept the museum open, but changed its name to the Taiwan Provincial Museum. The second part of the exhibit crosses over into this post-war period as well, a time when the museum's new management built on the work of the old. Chen Jianshan, the museum's first post-war director, filled in a major gap in the museum's collection with his campaign to collect Taiwanese fish specimens. There is, however, only a small amount of post-war material. Around here, the exhibit's timeline stops, with the last discoveries mentioned taking place in the 1960s. Mr. Lee says this doesn't mean the 1960s marked the end of the museum's growth. But he says that by this point, this exhibit's main topic, the general idea of natural science, was being replaced by separate, highly specialized fields. The naturalists of the past, meanwhile, had also moved away from careers at museums and gone into academia and the lab. Still, the museum continued to grow, and Mr. Lee says that as the museum revamps its other exhibits, the rest of the story, up to our time, will be filled in. The exhibit ends with a final section, The Past is the Future. 
Here, after a flurry of people and discoveries, there are three objects. Each is meant to send the message that while the things in a museum may have long histories, they can always inspire something new. In the case of the first object, the new creation could be literal when science is well enough advanced. The Formosan cloud leopard is a spotted big cat that was officially declared extinct in 2014 after a long break in recorded sightings. Here at the end of this exhibit, though, is a rare taxidermied example, something Mr. Lee says may one day provide the DNA basis for a revival. The other two pieces are works of art. One is a work by textile artist Yuma Taru, a member of Taiwan's indigenous Atayal group. The work here puts a contemporary twist on patterns seen elsewhere in the exhibit. There is also a multimedia piece by artist Wang Junjie, which plays with and reinvents some of the objects on display. Mr. Lee says objects in a museum can always be looked at in new ways, even if they've been around for longer than a human lifetime. The same is true of museums themselves, even those as old as the National Taiwan Museum, which is sharing new ways of looking at its collection with the public. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another Journey Through Time. This is Highlights, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Now, we are both Americans. That's and right. we both voted in That's this election. Right. What was your experience? Well, um, it was interesting. It was the first time I ever faxed my vote. You faxed it? Yeah, so everyone could see I'm transparent. <laughs> that, that's so old school. <laughs> I, I thought it would it. get there in time. That's mm -hmm. why I did a few weeks ago. Yeah. And then I realized my son can vote. So really? I tried to get him to register in a few different ways. I didn't know if it was going to work out, and we didn't get any response. And then we got the ballot about a week ago Ooh. in the mail okay. in, in this long Taiwanese address where we live. And I'm like, wow, it came in. So like, you got to fill it out. We'll express it the next day. So two of us voted uh, in excellent. my household. And yep. your son was a first-time voter. That's right. That's very That's exciting. Right. He was 18. So. so I voted in Missouri, and I actually emailed my vote oh, wow. for the first That's time. That's cool. That's very convenient. Yes, and I think everybody also knows who I voted for because I emailed it as well. And they actually confirmed that they'd received the email and that everything was okay within a day or two after I sent it. Oh, so that's great. super fast, super efficient. Now, you might be curious to know how many people, how many Americans there are abroad who are eligible to vote like we are. Actually, the number is 3 million. 7% of them voted in the last presidential election in 2016. But actually about 59% voted in the general election within the United States. So that's actually a huge difference. Just 7% right. from overseas, 59%, 60% from inside the United States. And why did people not vote from overseas? Well, over 30% had trouble either registering or getting their ballot. And 26% didn't get their ballot in time. Mm, you have to figure in the mailing you know, time, yeah. so, which is also an issue in this election. Absolutely. So, Maybe even more of an issue because of you know, the postal system not being up to speed and the pandemic and everything. So, Andrew, did being in Taiwan affect the way you vote? I don't think so. I think I probably would have voted for the same person regardless of where I lived in the world. 
But I will say that being overseas does give us a unique perspective about America's position in the world. So that's true. That's something I'm, I'm concerned about. Right. What about you? Well, no, it didn't affect. I think I think in terms of American interests when I vote for the American president rather mm -hmm. than Taiwan interests. But of course, you know, we are concerned about um, the foreign policy. But I still voted for the same person I would have voted for if I was in the U.S. Mm. And you guys can all guess who we <laughs> voted for. You can also uh, join the conversation. Leave a comment below. We have a great thread on Facebook where we're chatting about this as well. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.